Father, we pray with young Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servants here. We pray. Amen. If you take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119, 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Uh, For the past 40 years, um, I've been involved in some sort of pastoral ministry, and uh, that involves counseling um, because pastors are shepherds. Uh, We are involved in people's lives, and and oftentimes those people are very troubled people, uh, people in terrible messes. Sin is very messy, and yet there's also times when there's not any particular problem, an individual simply wanting direction or seeking advice, guidance. And I have come to love the fact that I can rely upon the authority of Scripture, that I don't have to rely upon anything that I might know or any um, clever ideas that I might have but that I can simply rest in the sufficiency of Scripture. And I can say that, uh, to be very honest with you, about 80-85% of the time I am counseling someone uh, and they're unraveling this terrible mess that they're in, I oftentimes think, I have no clue what I'm going to say. It's just a mess. And so you just start praying. God, give me wisdom. Give me, help me. And I start thinking of biblical principles that would apply. And so I'm thankful for uh, the truth of Scripture. Um, Bob Kellerman uh, defines biblical counseling as gospel-centered counseling that promotes personal change centered on the person of Christ through the ministry of the Word of God. Wayne Mack uh, writes, A belief in biblical inerrancy entails an affirmation of Scripture's sufficiency for understanding and resolving the non-physical problems of man. Counseling that is truly Christian must be Christ-centered, church-centered, and Bible-based. Various contemporary approaches to counseling fail to take into account the finiteness of man's knowledge, the depravity of human nature, and the sufficiency of Scripture. So it comes down, when we come to counseling, it comes down to uh, by what authority. And I was so thankful last night when Mike was preaching. He mentioned about the, um, uh, the Word of God going forth, not just in preaching, which is my first passion and love, but that it has various other forms, or I think he called them administrations. And, of course, that would be in the area of counseling. But yet, uh, today, modern psychology has influenced us and and tragically has influenced the church. David Polson says that we have psychology in our pores. Uh, We we have become, we we don't even know how we have been influenced by psychology. And so this, this comes in the battle of counseling. Is it psychology or is it um integrated counseling where we take some parts of psychology and and seek to infiltrate or put that in with the bible or is it simply using the bible as our authority so heath lambert writes secular counseling although able to observe many things is unable to interpret the significance behind their observation they fail to understand that all problems in living 
emotional, mental, relational, behavioral, have a spiritual core. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. David Polison says, The secular psychologies chase a rainbow, an explanation of what is wrong with us, what, of what is wrong with us that is anything but sin against God and a curse for the human condition that, anything, that is anything but Christ. The hearts of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. Ecclesiastes 9.3 Madmen's theories about madmen cannot help but be touched with madness. Sinners theorize sinfully about sinners. Now, that's not saying that all psychology, that, that it's not helpful. Um, it's just that uh, these studies can prove valuable and give some insight, but that's not our authority. Our authority is the Word of God. Now, when it comes to uh, the church and counseling, there, um, there, is a, there is a debate going on. And I, I just want to say before I read some of these quotes that these men are good men. They love God. Um, I think we do a great disservice when we question their love for Christ. Uh, they have a desire to help people. We just simply have to agree to disagree with them. So I think sometimes... Uh, we're guilty of demonizing some of these brothers, and I think we should be careful. So with that said, here's a quote. While the Bible provides the most important and ultimate answers, it is not an all-sufficient guide for the disciple of uh, disip- the, disip- oh, I can't talk this morning. the discipline of counseling. The Bible is inspired and precious, but it's also a revelation of limited scope. And again, we would say, yes, the Bible has a limited scope. Um, uh, The Bible does not uh, reveal everything we desire to know, nor does it claim to. Um, But we do believe Scripture is sufficient to address the problems we encounter in life. Scripture is like a compass. It it points us in the right direction. Another um, counselor says, Perhaps many of the personal problems which people bring to the counselee are completely unrelated to spiritual issues. And again, um, I have a dear friend who um, would not agree with me on some of these things. He said he would say, "Well, no, that's not a spiritual issue. It's an emotional issue, or it's a physical issue." And again, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Perpetual procrastination, nail biting, overeating, masturbation, lustful thoughts, worry over using credit cards may be caused by reasons that are neither physical or spiritual. Another writer, while the Bible is sufficient for salvation, doctrine, and morality, the phenomenon of Scripture itself forces upon us the conclusion that it was not God's design to have the Bible answer directly all the concerns of psychologists or counselors for all places and all times, containing everything that would be of value to the soul care in the future. And again, to that, we would simply disagree. Second, at the bottom of your page, Second Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Again, Heath Lambert writes, The Bible is sufficient because Christ is sufficient, and God shows us in His Word how to encounter Him in all, in all of life's complexities, Biblical counselors have what they need for counseling because they believe the promise of those resources in the faithfulness of God in Christ. So how is the Bible sufficient? 
and I'm going to present six different things that I wrote down. There could no doubt be more. First, number one, God's word is sufficient. The Bible teaches us that God is at the center of all counseling. And at this point, I need some helpers to read some verses of Scripture. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Will someone volunteer to do that? Thank you, Jim. Also, I need someone to read Ephesians 4.18. Okay, thank you. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, someone? Thank you. Um, Romans 8.29. Thank you. Uh, Job 2.10. Thank you, Job 2.10. And Genesis 50, verse 20. And then we'll look at a passage together before we're done. Okay. Number one, the Bible teaches us that God is at the center of all counseling. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. So, anger. Anger is an emotion. So, uh, I have an anger problem. Um, I get mad. I get ticked off. And it's an emotion. Does it relate to spiritual? Well, let me ask you again. That's just an emotional problem. So the question is, how does someone with anger relate to God? How is that related to God? You can talk. You can talk in this. We think of James where he says your anger because you don't get what you want. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Good. James 4, 1 and 2. God is is angry as well. Okay. we're created in his image we have similar uh, emotions as well okay that's a very good point so we have to say in fact the triune god each has expressed forms of anger so we have to simply say that all anger is not sinful so there's a difference between righteous anger and there is a difference between unrighteous anger by the way david paulson has a great book um out in is on sale good and angry (laughs) I love it. Chapter 3 is entitled, um, Do You Have a Serious Anger Problem? And it says, yes. You turn the page, it's chapter 4. So, and, and, and he, and, you know, I've said that to some people, and they go, I don't know if I have it. His anger family is, I mean, bitterness is, it's not just blowing up, but bitterness, um, inward seething, uh, resentment. These are all different forms of anger. So, Okay, so anyone else? How does anger, how, how does our anger relate to God? It also, go, go ahead. Well, in some ways it shows a lack of faith in God because you're angry about something that might be happening in your life and you're not trusting in God. Okay, okay. So we might be angry at God? Or angry at a situation. Situation? That, not recognizing that, that God allowed? Yeah. So it might then really be angry at God? So I hear this. I, I've said in churches where I've heard this preached. Hey, God knows you're angry. He knows all things. He's got big shoulders. He can handle it. So just tell him, you know. Now, wait a second. If I'm angry at Dave, then I perceive Dave's done me wrong. Can God ever do us wrong? No. 
So I've said this to people and they go, well, have you ever been angry at God? Yeah, but it doesn't justify it. Being angry at God is wrong. It's a sin. Now, there is a difference in Scripture, and especially the Psalms of Lament. There are times we question and we, we cry out to God. Jesus said, well, you know, why have you forsaken me? But there's a difference between our questions and our wrestling with God and our accusing God of being wrong. I was counseling a, a, a couple uh, just recently, have a, an adult daughter who's very bitter and angry at them. And, and this woman had said that she had been told by, she had read something in a Christian periodical, how that this daughter needs to forgive God. Forgive God? That's blasphemy. And so, um, so anger, yes, anger is an emotional problem, but it relates to God. James, you mentioned James. James 1, I think, is at verse 17. It says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, um, so it does relate to God. Here's a, another question. How does one with depression relate to God? So again, is this simply a, bio, you know, a biological problem? They, they have depression. Well, depression can be biological. Uh, there, there are things that can produce depression in, in people. But does that mean that it has nothing to do with our relationship with God? Uh, a young man that I was, I was seeing um, had suffered with depression uh, before I knew him. He had even tried to commit suicide. Um, he had been on medication. Uh, he had gone off the medication under a doctor's orders before he saw me. And so when this became known, you know, I said, would you like to meet together? And he said, yes. So we started going through Ed Welch's book um, on spiritual, on, on depression. And uh, he said, and he's been very open with this and give, has given testimony at the church. He said, you know, when I, when I realized that my depression was a trial, and, and again, his, his depression, I believe, had a lot to do with his physical body. And in fact, during the counseling time, I had encouraged him, you, you need to go back and see your doctor because I think you probably need some, not as much medication as you were on before, but some to help you especially sleep. But he just said, when I realized that my, my depression was a trial, and I, I just plugged in what James teaches, it helped me immensely. So again, it might not be a spiritual problem in the sense that it's causing the depression, but it still relates our it still deals with or impacts our relationship with God. So God is at the center. The, the question I often ask people is, so where is God in all of this? You, know, you tell me you know, what's going on. I go, okay, and I don't know. I say, where is God? I, I say, I don't know the answer to this, but where is God in this? Because God God's involved. Right? He's, he's involved. Number two. Oh, um, Bob Kellerman. It is an unbiblical, secular, secular, sacred dichotomy to proclaim that Christ is supreme over spiritual matters, but not over daily life issues of relating, thinking, choosing, behaving, and feeling. These are spiritual matters. Everything is spiritual in relationship to God. 
Um, I remember um, reading John MacArthur telling about he was riding in, in his car and, and had the radio station on and a Christian psychologist on the radio talk show. A lady had called in to get advice about worry. And uh, so his advice to her was write down all the things that you worry about on a piece of paper and then take 10 minutes in the morning to have active worry. Think about those things, worry about those things. And then during the day, when you're thinking about, tempted to worry, say, no, I've already worried today, that's done. So, you know, I've, I've had Christians say, that's a great, that's great advice. Wait a second. So a person comes to me with an issue of pornography, take 10 minutes a day in the morning for active lust, and then, the, no, the, the problem is, this Christian brother who was giving this advice doesn't think that worry is a sin. It's an emotional problem. Well, Jesus had some things to say about worry, didn't he? It is. It, yes, it might have emo, might be emotional, but it's also involved with the spirit. It's the spiritual issue. Okay, number two. The Bible asserts sin is our primary problem, Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So when we talk about sin, we're not just talking about um, behavior. We're talking about sinful attitudes. Sin is deceptive. It's habitual. Um, we sin personally, and we've been sinned against. Now, again, a, a, a friend of mine would would say, yeah, you know, the problem with you guys is you're always saying it's a sin problem. You're always telling people that there's some sort of sin. Well, I like what David Paulison says. The problems, the problems in living that necessitate counseling are not matters of unmet psychological needs, indwelling demons of sin, poor socialization, inborn temperaments. That's a big one. That's just the way I am genetic predispositions, or anything else that removes attention from the responsible human being. The problem with believers is remnant sin. The problem with unbelievers is reigning sin. Sin is the problem. So, um, yeah, I'm not saying that everyone who comes in seeking counseling has personally sin causing this issue. Sometimes they've been sinned against. But then how is our response to that? that sin that's been committed against us. Number three, this is the good news. The, the Bible proclaims Jesus Christ is the answer to life's problems. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the gospel has the power to change my life. And as I look back over my Christian life, I'm humbled to see how God's word through his spirit has changed me. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I haven't arrived. But that the power of Christ can bring about change. And it's so rewarding to see how that happens in other people's life. And I need the gospel. The gospel isn't just for those people out there without Christ. 
We need the gospel. I, you know, Jerry Bridges talks about we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. What is the gospel? The gospel is that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. Jesus is a bigger savior than I am a sinner. And so Christ is the answer. The gospel can help. Um, On your back page, again, Heath Lambert writes, there are unifying features in secular psychology. By the way, there are over there are around 250 psych, uh, competing theories in counseling. Freud, Rogers, Skinner, Maslow, the list goes on and on. And um, they disagree. They, they disagree, except they agree on these. What is it? All agree that the problem is not sin, that problems can be explained psychologically, that the answer is within the individual or in medical chemistry, and that Jesus Christ has nothing to do with our dysfunctions. They do agree on that. Number four. Yeah, exactly. Number four, the Bible provides hope and help, and we call this progressive sanctification. The Bible provides hope and help. Romans 8, 29. So Jesus is seeking to reproduce the character, or God is seeking to reproduce the character of Christ in me. And, uh, and the, I'm a new creation, but, but when I came to Christ, I brought baggage. And you brought baggage. Change is not instantaneous. And so as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, as we, as we listen and obey God's word, there can be hope and, and change. Now listen, we're not talking about use the illustration with anger. We're not talking about, you know, Jim comes to me with anger. And so here, here are three Bible verses to memorize on anger. And then, you know, it's like, you know, read these two verses and call me in the morning. We're not talking, uh, uh, there's heart issues that are involved. And we need to find out what those heart issues are. Idols of the heart that are competing. So it's, it's, we're not talking about, you know, and oftentimes, again, biblical counseling is, is criticized as being simplistic. And I think sometimes that criticism is rightly deserved if that's what we're doing, if we're just simply dispensing Bible verses instead of seeking what is really going on. Um, an illustration that I borrowed that, that I think hits it quite well is if I'm holding Diet Coke in my hand, and you bump me, orange juice doesn't come out. That code comes out. And then life, we get bumped. And what comes out is what was in our hearts. And it's not always pretty. So I'm driving down the interstate. I'm fine. And some idiot cuts me off. And for a split second, I am so angry I could kill him. And I go, oh, Lord, where, where did that come from? It came from my heart. That's what Jesus said. Where did these things come from? They come from our hearts. Some of you are looking very like, I would never think that. But. <laughs> I thought you were writing with me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we get bumped in life. And, and what we want, we want, to ch- we want God to change us. He needs to change our hearts. And again, uh, we, we're not Christian behaviorists. 
you know, just change this behavior. I, I think in my parenting, my own parenting, I think that it was, my kids were probably in their teen years when I dawned on me that I was basically a Christian behaviorist that, you know, we, we need to target the heart. And again, a good book out there, Shepherding a Child's, a Child's Heart. But the heart needs to be changed. And God can change the heart. He can replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Um, and so, um, you know, we need to ask God, God, change my heart. Change my heart. I need my heart changed. You know, I, my, my Susan says, don't say that. I, I tell our friends, if you come to my visitation when I'm dead and, and my nose is like this, you'll know Sue put a pillow to my head because I've said to Sue, I don't want to be a grumpy old man. I'm, I, I just turned 62. I don't want to be a grumpy old man. And I see that in my life. And I've said to Sue, if, if, if I'm becoming a grumpy old man, I want you to take a pillow. You know, she goes, don't say that. Um, but, you know, I was telling my brother-in-law, I told him that, and he goes, Fred, I have news for you. We're both grumpy old men. I don't. I want my heart changed. I want my heart changed. Ed Welch says, and um, <laughs> he's, he did a lot of his studies on the brain stuff. He says, one of the things about Alzheimer's is that it, it takes away our inhibitions. You know, there are certain things that we have where we're talking to someone and our, our conscience says, don't say that, that's not, that's not appropriate. Well, Alzheimer's takes that away. So our heart speaks. There's no filter anymore. I don't know about you, that scares me to death. God, change my heart. Change my heart. And there's hope and there's help in the gospel, in progressive sanctification. So that when we get bumped, good things come out. Because God has changed our heart. And uh, Jesus gives those illustrations. He doesn't use Diet Coke. He uses fruit and trees. Number five, the Bible states that our problems are directed by a sovereign God. James 2.10. Oh, I'm sorry, Job. It was, I was right. Sorry, you were, you were right. I was wrong. Job 2.10. So Job's wife says to Job, curse God and die. And Job says, shall we not receive good from the Lord and not evil? You say, wait a second. That's wrong, Job. You're, you're ascribing to God some bad things. Wait a second. The text says with this, Job did not sin with his mouth. You say, wait a second. Satan was behind all those things. Job, you know, the hurricane and the kids, the collapse of the roof and its kids dying and stuff like that. Yes, but look what John Piper writes in his uh, foreword of his book, the poem on Job. It is a great sadness when sufferers seek relief by sparing God his sovereignty over pain. The sadness is that this undercuts the very hope it aims to create. Whatever Satan's liberty in unleashing calamity upon us, God never drops the leash that binds his neck. Love that last sentence. God never drops the leash that binds his neck. My trials are not by random chance. My trials are given, allowed, predestined, 
whatever word you want to use, my trials are from a sovereign God who's also a loving God. And he's designed them for my good, Romans 8, 28. And so uh, this helps immensely. I think um, I did have an, I mean, I do have an anger problem, but um, I can look back and see how God has worked in that. And I've had those who are close to me attest that they've seen uh, progressive sanctification. Again, I've not arrived at all. But, um, but what really helped me with my anger was to realize that whatever is coming into my life is by God's sovereign hand. God has allowed this. And he wants to use it for his glory and for my good. And so what a tremendous help. Number six... The Bible provides the local church as a means, God's means, to provide soul care. And with that, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. And Dave Dorn, would you read this for us? Um, Ephesians 4. You probably know exactly where I'm going. Verse 11 through verse 16, please. So I think the Puritans were the first to refer to what we would refer to counseling as soul care. And, and I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you call it. Counseling, again, we need to rid ourselves of this idea that counseling is some, this stereotypical, you know, someone sitting in a room on a couch or whatever, regurgitating all this stuff, and I'm just listening. Counseling happens all the time. Counseling is just, biblical counseling is just taking the Bible and helping someone uh, deal with a problem or a, a dilemma that they're facing in, in life. Uh, but call, call it mentoring, call it discipleship, call it one-on-one. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's just helping others, the soul care. And it, it's part of the church's, our church's DNA. Um, it, it's not original with me, um, but we, we say it takes a church to raise a Christian. You can't be a successful Christian without the ministry of, of the local church. Uh, we're called to preach. We're called to teach. We're called to evangelize. We're called to encourage each other. Counseling is just one of those other commands. We, we don't want to be a church with biblical counseling. We want to be a church of biblical counseling where people are equipped. Um, turn to Romans chapter 15, probably one of the key verses in the biblical counseling movement. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to counsel one another. 
to instruct one another. So um, I got a call years ago from a, a lady who said, I just moved into the Lansing area, and um, do you guys do grief counseling? And I said, yes, we do. And we don't, we don't charge for our counseling. How much is We don't charge for our counseling. And she said, well, I'm just going through some really times of deep grief. And I said, I understand. I said, well, how long have you lived in Lansing? And she goes, about six months. I said, well, are you going to church anywhere? And she said, yes. And she mentioned a church. And I said, um, well, have you, talked to one, have you talked to one of their pastors? She said, well, I, I did. I called. And they said, they don't do counseling. And they recommended um, two psychologists for me to see. And one's not even saved. And I just, I just feel really funny about talking about grief to this unsaved counselor. And I, I was so, I don't think sinfully angry, but um, I, I thought that is, that's ministerial malpractice. So here, here's the scenario. I'm going to a church. I'm candidating there. And the church says, uh, so tell, me, tell us about ministry. And I go, you know, I love ministry. I love ministration. I mean, administration, just really, I love it. And um, I love hospital calling. And I love, um, you know, meeting with people and, and so forth. And I go, what about preaching? I go, I don't do preaching. That's hard. I mean, that's hard. I mean, you got to wrestle with this text all week and find out what does this text say? No, 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 I don't do preaching. If you call me as your pastor, what we'll do is we'll subcontract preaching. Every Sunday, we'll have a special speaker come in and preach. How would that go over? I don't think it'd go over. And it shouldn't. Listen, I am a counselor. I mean, I love preaching. But I'm also a shepherd. And shepherds should smell like sheep. said that to one person that was attending our church he goes well I smell like a goat I, thought, I don't know if he understands the significance of what he just said um, but um, shepherds should smell like sheep and so we it is messy it is hard there are times where I say I wish I didn't have to do this but that's what God's called me to do to be a shepherd and all, whether you're a pastor or not, we are called the one another's of Scripture. And we're over like 21 another's. Love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, um, so forth. So we're, we're all called to do this. Um, and, and the past, in the recent past, in the last 50, 60, maybe even 100 years, there's been this shift away from the church in this area. And thankfully, we see God, there's a movement where it's coming back. A shift where we've given it over to the experts. Instead of saying, look, God has equipped us to be able to... This doesn't say that I'm always capable. Because I'm not. Sometimes I've had to call other gifted men or women and say, you know, I just called uh, Denise Hardy over at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Roseville. Just this past week, I said, hey, this is a situation I'm going through. You've had more experience in dealing with this. Am I just, am I on the right road? So, yes, we, we can help. And there are, there are some real um, complex issues today. You know, the, the young lady that we were dealing with who was a bipolar. And, you know, saying, you know, I can't go to Myers anymore. There's, 
there's demons there. Don't, don't you see the demons? So what do I do? I just point her to biblical... First of all, I say, are you on your medication? Because that's, you know... But then I say, what does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's, it's no use to try and argue with her. Because she, she believes she sees demons there. Now, if you're a Kroger guy, you might think, you know, well, there are demons at Myers. But, <laughs> but, you know, seriously, you know, so you point her to biblical truth. But, and again, and to seek outside help. But that's, that's a case that we don't come across those all the time. So um, the church is called, we, we're all in need of biblical counsel. I need biblical counseling. You need biblical counseling. We all need it. It's God using his word to help us. Okay, I've talked long enough. Other questions, comments, or snide remarks? Aren't there some uh, sort of biblical counselors you, you, that would say, oh, you, you don't need to be on this medication if, you, uh, you know, if you're really, the word is sufficient and uh, yeah. that should, how do you? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a graying scale. There are those who... I think uh, the original, I think like Jay Adams and bless, you know, we were thankful for Jay Adams. Thankful he's the grandfather of the biblical counseling movement. But I, I you know, um, that would say that medications are never necessary and so forth. But within that realm of the realm of those who are committed to biblical counseling, there are those who would embrace the use of medicines. And I, I'm at the position where I can disagree, agree to disagree with some of my brothers who are over here, but I think, um, see, um, I think he's a, he's a doctor. He's on staff at CCEF. Um, he, he, Mike Imlet, I think, was his, is his name. He, he was saying, look, medicine, medicine can help take the edge off of some people so they can, they can better sleep or better understand truth, but there's not a pill. There is not a pill you can take that will take all your depression away. Um, you know, and, and Ed Welch talks about that medications are often like their shotgun approach. They, they don't know why this certain medication works. They just know, and sometimes it was found out by accident because they were giving this person this medication and this was a side effect. So medications are, you know, they can be helpful, but they, they can't, they, we can't make them idols. So we can, we can, you know, and I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. And, and so, I, so, you know, usually when someone comes to me, especially with depression, the first thing I say is, when did you see your doctor last? Have you had a physical? Because there might be some physical things wrong. Well, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I've never had that specific, you know, I've dealt with guys that are attracted to same-sex, you know, attraction. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a complex thing. I just, they're looking at life from this side of Genesis 3, the fall. And, and so I try to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. God made male and female. 
and God made you who you are. I'd go back to, again, I'm saying this very quickly. God's sovereignty, you know, you're, you're a young man because God made you a young man. And um, that sin, sin has so messed us up. What does the prophet say from the top of our head to the sole of our foot? Sin has corrupted us. You know, and I've had guys say, I didn't choose this. I just have always felt this way. Well, sin's messed us up. But that's not how, that's not how um, you are in Christ. And again, finding out where they're at spiritually and so forth. But would deal with um, what their position is in Christ and how God has worked in this and how just because um, they struggle with this, and, and again, I think we've got to be very careful that, you know, um, especially for those of us who are teaching, that we don't make these, you know, jokes and stuff about that. Because it's, it's a serious issue. And, you know, um, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Ha, ha, ha. You know, the choir laughs. But the person out there who's struggling with same-sex attraction is saying, well, I can't talk to Fred. He won't understand. So I think we need to be very compassionate. I don't know if that helps. Yep. Kind of on that same line, you know, over the years, it's been a struggle for me to talk with um, a lot of different people because I don't even know where they stand in terms of salvation. You know, you can ask questions, you can probe, you can get the right answers, but there's usually no fruit or someone that has, you know, is bent on staying in this sin, you know, how do you handle those people? You know, well, really, I don't think are regenerate, you know, I, right. but I'm not, I can't judge their salvation. I don't know their heart completely. You know, I can see the, fruit I, the sufficiency of scripture. This is what scripture says. Again, can a Christian have same sex attractions? Yes. Can a Christian struggle with homosexuality? Yes. Can a Christian live an unrepentant, continual homosexuality? No. I mean, that's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6. There's many other passages. Yes? So, kind of along, a little bit along the lines of that, I have had several opportunities where i got people that know I'm a Christian, but they're not saved, and they're seeking my mm-hmm. counsel. Yeah, great. But, so, apart from... <laughs> trying to share the gospel with them and knowing that's their ultimate need, how else do you counsel someone biblically outside of just constantly sharing the gospel with them? You know, Because if they don't get the gospel, nothing else is really going to help, I don't feel. But. I, my, I think by loving them, by showing them that you care, and there are ways that you can do that, to show them that you really care for them, and uh, by, again, sharing the gospel, but also injecting biblical truth. Dave, you have any? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you don't, wanna, you don't want to give them the thought that they can somehow please God by just doing what God says. Mm-hmm. But I do think what God says is uh, they are obligated. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think you can you can show them what the scriptures say about how God's creation ought to live, mm-hmm. and hope that in exposing that righteousness to them, that they ought to be convicted of their inability to do that in their 
maybe like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? And he's saying what God's expectations are, recognizing that the people are going to have to make a decision if they're going to build their life on those words or not. And so I think you, you can teach them what God says, but make sure they know they're not doing it to earn his favor or somehow that they can prove it. Yeah, excellent. And that by becoming a Christian will not necessarily make their problem go away. You know, come to Christ and this problem will go away. Come, come to Christ and your wife will come back to you. Not necessarily. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just thinking that. We can't, when we present it that way, we can't accidentally tell them that, okay, if you come to Christ, it will fix this problem. But I think you still can, even if they're not believers, you can still explain that the underlying cause of these issues is sin, mm-hmm. even though they don't mm-hmm. Right. It's going to really solve problems. Right. Right. I don't want to say, you know, go do these things or pay attention to this piece of it, but don't worry about being saved. Right, exactly. Good. Any other question? Yes. Uh, my wife, uh, basically, a few years more from the morning to here, her heart adjustment, she had a few years depression. Right now, get better. Good. Good. She just refused to get a counseling or doctor. She just refused. Yeah. Some, right, even right now, still isolation, right? She doesn't uh, meet with the church, other people. Same isolation, they say, yeah, just uh, refused. Yeah, this is really hard. Yeah, so right. One, one of the first lessons I learned in ministry was I can't help people who don't want help. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, and so you can pray. Uh-huh. Pray for her and talk to some ladies at church. Be careful how much you would say, but just simply say, hey, could you, could you kind of befriend my wife? She just needs a friend, you know, right now. and They could go out for coffee. So where, you know, some ladies that could minister to her, and then she would maybe feel open to open up. Yeah, a lot of just a because she just refused. I understand. I, I understand. Yep. Back to the first thing you were talking about, brother, with respect to medications and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a rise with medical marijuana and now we're right. marijuana. Right. And uh, even some professing believers who are um, saying that they need that to take that edge off. And um, I kind of liken that to an alcohol sure. kind of category. Sure. How are, how are you? I mean, I mean. Yeah, again, there's that slippery slope that we have to be careful about. You know, I find that I I can get stressed out, but if I have, you know, a couple of beers, you know, then it takes the edge off type of thing. Well, I don't think that that's the answer. Either the marijuana thing as well, so. Many are viewing it as, and and not just, you know, unbelievers, but some believers sure, sure. viewing it as, as a, a, you know, an answer right. to what we would deem as an anxiety issue. Right. Uh, where, right. Well, why would I go to a doctor and get some, you know, man-made chemical when I can smoke something that grows from the earth and it's natural? You know. 
many years ago, I had someone give that argument, and my argument was, well, what does Romans 13 say? But I can't use that argument anymore. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you have any words of wisdom there? <laughs> Yeah, I would too. For like nausea, for right. I've had those who, yeah, right, 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 yeah. There's biblical principles on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm talking about someone that I know who had cancer right. and was going through chemo and that and I I, I don't know I think it isn't it can't be prescribed in a pill form or something and and that took the edge off her nausea so what's that oh, brownies yeah not affecting them you know right psychological standpoint right Oh, you're talking like CBD kind of stuff. Yeah. Prescribed. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. We're done. Thanks you for your attention and participation. And uh, there's some great books out there on one of the tables regarding counseling. So. Thank you. Thank you.